<laughs> uh, welcome back to Full Frequency Radio. Um, it's been two minutes since we recorded the last episode, but it's probably been a day or two since you, you heard it. Uh, my name is John Baisley. I'm joined by Jake Newcomb. Jake, how you doing? Um, yeah, so we're just gonna we're just gonna keep on rolling here. Um, the last episode we recorded ended up being all about the history of, of Jake's various musical projects from uh, Feverview through uh, his solo work over the course of a decade. Um, but I, you know, what we're releasing this month and what Jake is here to talk about is his just absolutely brilliant solo record Yosemite, uh, which released last. August or last, last September? It was September. It was I September. Think that, uh, we released a single, I think, like the end of August. But I remember you sent it to me that summer. Yeah. Um, and m- like most of my memories with Yosemite are, I was working at a bar at the time, like a bar slash concert venue mm-hmm. in, in lower Manhattan. And um, I was listening to it just nonstop on the subway. I was working so much like just to pay my rent and I was always on the train and I would just listen to this album incessantly at that time. Um, and it's an album that I feel every song matters. Like there isn't like a, there's, there's no skippable songs here. There's no song that feels out of place. There's no like experimental song, you know, they're like the, the way it opens and the way it closes is brilliant. I love the interlude. Everything feels like necessary here. And with that, I think one thing I wanted to talk about with you is the track listing itself. Yep. Um, one thing you just said while we were off air for two seconds um, was you wrote these songs basically in chronological order of how they appear on the record. Yeah the track listing starts at one point and then you kind of just wrote the song straight through with one exception. Yep. Um, so let's just start at the beginning. Um, why don't you take a little bit to talk about troubles and, Oh, I just want to say quickly before we start, um, because I think I'm going to do this a lot where I forget which episode this is. Yeah. Um, if you want to read about the track listing of, uh, Yosemite, you can go to fullfrequencycollective.tumblr.com. There's an article there called a track by track commentary on Yosemite by Jake Newcomb. Um, so you can read along or you can, you know, we're not going to look at that, I guess, but, uh, there's articles up on the website and you should check them out because Jake spent a lot of time doing them and they're very good. Yeah. Um, and some stuff, you know, so I think I can express some things better in writing than, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so why don't we start with the, the track by track? Let's talk about troubles. Okay. So when I was writing troubles, I really was not, I had no like real indication that I was on the verge of beginning um, a full-length record. Right. But it did come after I did the No Nukes project. Which was you and your dad. Yeah, it was me and my dad. So it felt... I wrote, like, I wrote all the songs. Like, he wrote the bass parts, and we recorded it. We played one show. And it kind of felt like, you know, like a response to that almost. Mm-hmm. Like, some of the techniques I was... I was developing guitar wise on that project. I continued with the song with the song that became Troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just graduated college at this point. I had just graduated college. Um, I'd moved from my apartment, which I loved so much, New Brunswick. Yeah, back to my parents' house, which was pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, but then I almost immediately after I went on a cruise to the Caribbean. Um, and I also another thing too, and this is, I think this is pretty important to Yosemite as a whole. Mm -hmm. I did not have a reliable acoustic guitar my entire life until after college. It's very punk. So (laughs) I, I seriously only used an electric guitar from like maybe age 12 to 21. Right. I remember your SG. (laughs) Yeah. 
I still love the SG. I still play the SG, but when uh, my senior year of college, I used my roommate Matt's acoustic guitar all the time, mm-hmm. and I learned how to play slap guitar on it, and that kind of changed everything for me guitar-wise. Right. Um, Opens so, up a lot of composition avenues. Yeah. So everything on Yosemite comes from more of in like an acoustic-centered vibe than anything previous before. Every Almost mm-hmm. everything else was centered on the dynamics of an electric guitar played through distortion. Almost everything on Yosemite is the opposite. Um, sure. um, the song was originally know. called Winters in New York when you were writing yes, it. Yes, it was that version of the song existed in my mind for a while. Right. Um, it was only uh, like the verses were the same, the chorus was the same. Um, I had uh, like a melody idea that had those words in it, winners in New York. Um, but that kind of all faded away um, when I took another stab at the song later on. Because this, this was like a riff I was coming back to almost weekly, sure. um, almost daily. It was kind of like, it was this song that I was still working on even as I was churning out all these other songs yeah. for, um, for Fox and Lion, for America Part 2. And even a lot of the other Yosemite songs that I like fully finished, I was still working on Troubles. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until almost a year later when I finally, you know, had had enough with the fact I couldn't finish the song. And I spent maybe like a week or two just trying everything. Yeah. Um, And when I finally got it, um, it felt like I had literally won a war. Yeah. Like it was that kind of intense personally. Because if I couldn't finish the song, like I, I in my mind it would have been like a huge shame. Sure, you know. Um, did you know this was going to be the first song on the album? Like, when did you realize that? Because um, it's—I mean, I guess you didn't write know, it yeah. as an intro, right? So. No, yeah. I, the, it's kind of always been in my mind as an intro, though, because of where it came from, like because c- of where it started. It because I started working on it after the No Nukes record came out. Yeah it's always kind of been in my mind like an introduction to like a new a new thing sure you know yeah i guess it's functionally an introduction you kind of entered the record through the beginning of it which is interesting yeah i like re-entered the process of songwriting itself through Mm -hmm. this song um let's move on yeah um this was the song i remember you told me when i saw the track listing i was i was like this is gonna be weird i I knew that this was gonna be not just what i thought like I, i you know after hearing no nukes and Fox and Lion in America Part Two. I thought I had a, my head wrapped around the way you were conceptualizing your projects yeah. and how you were kind of moving on to the next thing. And like I said with America in the last episode, it felt like that EP to me felt like let's try a song like this. Let's try a song like this. I was not expecting to hear a song titled Crosstown Train, <laughs> which was the name yeah. of your previous my band. band. Yeah. yeah. Um, so talk about Crosstown Train a little bit. This is the second song you wrote for the project, and it's tracked you on the record. So, um, what you wrote about here is that it was a lot longer at first and it was slower. It was, it was slower, longer. There was an extra verse. Um, but I wrote it in one like long session, like late at night. Um, just as soon as I got the chorus, I was like, this song rules. I think this has like the chorus on the record, this song. Um, like lyrically it was dealing with, um, 
like a really intense relationship and you know also kind of the confusion of graduating college in the United States yeah you know um so trying to deal with it like the song lyrically is trying to deal with really difficult topics um and there's there's a kind of a lot of pain in it as well right because I, of that uh one thing I'm going to try and speak into the mic while I read this but yeah one thing that you write here that I like a lot is I tried to express the deep conflict between reality and idealism that affects many of us in our early 20s, which gave Crosstown Train a new meaning to me in the context of these themes and escape from the conditions that we're left with. Yeah. Um, that's a thing I want to bring up here. That's a very political statement, you know, yeah. um, and this record's very political. It's yeah. but not. And I know you always take like umbrage of me saying that, yeah. but it is like this is a record about being afraid you're going to be poor. It's a record about being afraid of the way that the world looks after you've kind of left your safety net. Yeah, it's this like I don't want to say it this millennial kind of record, you know. Yeah. But it feels very much so. It's a shared experience of like I just graduated college and I have this expensive degree and I want to move on with my life, both you know career wise and I want to climb the ladder, but I also want to have a life and like fall in love and travel and see the sights, you know. Yeah, no, that's you know that's kind of the thing. Um, I feel like us as millennials have a lot of weird contradictions. Yeah. You know. I mean, we grew up with, um, like, the internet and access to so much insane information and, um, and like, access to photographs of everywhere on Earth. Video, yeah. Like, um, where, like, it's almost like the most sublime aspects of human life can be, like, viewed anytime, yeah. streamed at any time. But being able to participate in... Um, in like to be able to like participate fully in that experience is something that is not granted to most people. You yeah. know? And that's something that, you know, it's a part of me, especially as someone who wants to travel a lot. You right. Know? For sure. Yeah. I, I think that's my favorite song on the record um, because it means a lot to me as like a, like having been there for Crosstown Train and those being my own formative years, you yeah. know, um, I feel like I'm in the audience for the song <laughs> particularly. Um, well, another thing too is, it was weird how the title "Crosstown Train" came up. Like, it's a line in Jets to Brazil, right? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a line in Jets to Brazil, and it became a line in this song, kind of just out of nowhere. Like, I didn't plan on it, but as soon as I said it, yeah, it all connected. Like, right. and it put the band, like my band, in a new perspective for me too. Sure, you know, yeah. Um, let's move on again. The next track in this record is called Pure. Yeah. Um, and this one started as an America Part 2 song, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, this was written the day before we moved into our house together. Yeah. Um, and it, w it was kind of like this reaction to a ton of stuff that I was watching happen in my personal life and in my social life and being kind of... Um, what's the word like just dissatisfied with the behavior of myself not really my friends but everyone you yeah. know not even just people I knew I knew personally but you know watching I think watching people change after Trump's election and becoming more nihilistic mm -hmm. I like even though I don't 
I don't support Donald Trump's politics in any way. Watching kind of like the nihilism of kids our age, especially in like an area close to Asbury with like a lot of alcohol right. and a lot of hedonism. Um, hedonism being a one word <laughs> to describe yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, the way I think of this is like, you know, like I, you know, to be totally honest, like a lot of our pro- a lot of our friends are going through a lot at this time. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I this this song always makes me think of that. Like when yeah. it's it seemed like a lot of people we were close with were not in the best situations. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, it's tough to, I mean, a lot of people go through that, you know, and watch people that they're close to go through, like, tough situations and not really knowing what to do. And you you yourself might be going through a tough situation as well. It's hard to, you know, verbalize that. Um, And that's why this song was so cathartic for me, too. Yeah. Was I was able to really kind of conceptualize lyrically everything that I thought was wrong in something in a way that I couldn't explain out loud to people. Right. I mean, you know, here you write, writing it denoted the complete end of one era of my life and the beginning of a new one. And I, I think that kind of does say it all. This is a transitional song on the record for sure. Yeah, but dude, it's not even... it. And I kind of I kind of view it differently than in the context of the record. I think it was a defining moment of my life mm. outside of the record, just in general. Sure. Um, um, let's, yeah. let's move along to Die Alone, which is the song I've been using as the theme song to this podcast. Yeah. Um, because it honestly just bangs. Uh, yeah. I think this is, this is the hardest song on the record. Yeah. Um, this is definitely like the, the most rock song on the record. For sure. This is the one that sounds like a band wrote it. Correct. Um, so why don't you talk about the song a little bit? So this song came right after Pure, um, and... It was kind of like an op, like an like an opposite take on, like my life situation, um, sure. where it does have like the fast energy and um, kind of like the, you know, the distorted guitar, um, and like the rock sound, but I also jammed it with America Part Two at the time, and we recorded a version that we ended up not using. I think mainly because we tried to rush the song. Sure. Um, but in the context of the record, I love it because it is one of the only songs that kind of captures more of the punk type of energy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. This, I think this, you can tell that I feel like this is like an emo kind of song. Yeah. Uh, it comes from that like kind of emo heritage a bit. Um, just in like, you're a very good guitarist and like some of the noodly stuff on there. Yeah. I, I, I always kind of like phase out how much, uh, like noodling is in it. Um, yeah. I'm I'm focused more on like the BPM. And, right. I think of like the know. the snare hits like yeah, in the second yeah, verse yeah. and stuff. Um, the the next track is an interlude. It's an instrumental song. Yes. Um, do you look at it as an interlude or? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Sparky is the name of the song. Yeah, I do view it as an interlude, but I've I've always kind of viewed interludes as not really having any sort of meaning. Sure. Um, at least in the context of like you know, like punk records or pop punk records. It's, you know, um, I, that's just the way I've always viewed them. I don't know if people attribute like deeper significance or deeper meanings to like instrumental interludes that are short. Yeah. Um, I never really thought about that until I wrote this, sure. which is only a minute and a half. And, you know, as a reaction to my dog dying. Right. Um, so it is an interlude and that topic is not discussed at all on the rest of the record. Sure. But it was kind of like a central 
thing that happened to me in that in that year. And that song was very cathartic to write. Right. I, I feel like um, with interludes in a lot of records, um, like the purpose of the interlude is to get from one place to another. Yeah. And kind of like the sonic palette should kind of, well, you know, yeah, let me it's re- a palette cleanser, let me I guess. frame it like this. Yeah. Like, I think the four songs before Sparky mm-hmm. are all dealing with, like, they're all kind of like reactions to events that are happening in my life. Right. Everything that comes after Sparky, in my opinion, is kind of like, um, ref- like deep reflections on those events, um, but also kind of deeper reflections on like the patterns of my life in general. I, you know, I, as a listener, I agree with you, except for the last song. And I want to talk about the last song okay. when we get there. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I feel like that is, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. But, um, you know, one thing I just want to say quickly is I, one thing I love in this write up you wrote is, um, of every song on the record, this one brings me the most joy. The yeah. Which is, sparky. It's, it sounds kind of like, um, when you oxymoronic. showed me it, you said, this yeah. is a song about my dog dying. And it's so strange to read now. Like this is the one that brings me the most joy. It's, I don't know. I feel like you, I feel like you can hear my, like my dog in the song. Mm. I think that, I think writing it so close to her death, um, and having it be in D major, which is, um, helped, helped me get over, you know, the end of her life. Cause she was suffering for a long time before she passed. Mm. Um, but it also kind of, I was, when I showed this to Mike Sharapa, um, from the stolen he told me that this song reminds him of the life of a dog in general mm. that it's like it's short and sweet and then it's over yeah and i was like wow that's i get that you know yeah i love that yeah. um moving on the the next song is called warp tour um which yeah. is a bold title too and this is i think this might also i love every song on this album but like this is one that stuck out to me early on too as yeah. i was being high up there for me um why don't you talk about warp tour a little bit um so warp tour came after america part two had done our ep i had started you know started writing the earlier songs on this record um but i was trying to move on and write i just continuously write right and i wrote warp tour on our back porch when spring finally like came and it started to get warmer out Um, and I kind of I think I always kind of compare this one with Die Alone Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's like a little more faster um, or it's a little more fast it is more influenced from like a full rock band sort of uh, vibe but lyrically it's kind of reflecting on like our you know our decade-long history like me and my friends yeah like playing local music and and writing original music that we take very seriously right you know yeah i, I love the opening line of the song which is we had flip phones our first warp tours yeah you know when i thought about that uh at the time i was like wow like, so much has changed in such yeah. like a short time like that feels like a different world it's a, i think both know? both sides of that lyric like to me like I, you know when i hear that like it sounds so that was such a short time ago, but the world has changed so much. We just have so much technology on us all the time now. Yeah. But also like like Warped Tour, like the, the way I feel about Warped Tour personally, 
has changed so much since the time I had a flip phone. That yeah, no, and that's and that's I think another thing I was trying to capture too was yeah. that when we started, or at least when I started going to Warped Tour, right? It like kind of replaced Christmas for me in a way. Yeah. Where on on like a single day, I could see all of my favorite bands, discover new bands, buy merch, buy T-shirts. Um, and for a music fan, it was you know pretty incredible. Right. It's um, also just for me, it was always that. But like the first Warped Tour I went to, I remember I saw like two bands and just hung out with my friends. Like yeah. it was just it was all of my friends are going to this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, like I was going at that point, even if I didn't like like any of the bands. Yeah. You know, I was just like, well. I'll see two bands and then hang out with Alex all day or something like that, you yeah. know? Um, and Warped Tour, you know, when you're a kid, it is just like this Christmas, like wonderful thing, you yeah, know? Yeah. As I've gotten older, I've kind of, my feelings about it have changed, you know? But yeah. Um, yeah. That's I, the thing. It's like, it, I think I use Warped Tour kind of as like a, as a device right. for nostalgia. Um, more than a, it, it is like a celebration or indictment of Warp Tour, which sure. it's neither of. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do love that you had Owen sing the bridge here. Um, that, I don't know, that felt like it had to happen. Yeah. It's, it, it, it fits. I think it is too, to me, I remember when you two were making music together in Crosstown Train, like Warp Tour mattered a lot more back then. It was like mm-hmm. you were trying to play Warp Tour. And yeah, no, and, that was, the, you know, like the primary, yeah. you know, space for bands like us to you know, promote themselves. Right. Um, the next song on the track listing was the first single. Yes. Which I remember I was not expecting. I had heard the whole album before you put, you announced it, put the single out. Yeah. And I was wondering the whole time, like, what's the single going to be? Like, what's Jake going to put out as a single? And you put out Little Things. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you talk about that for a second? Little Things was probably the most musically cathartic song I've ever written. Or right. maybe not, maybe not ever, but for... For this record because I had just started getting into the piano and the original in the way and pure is also recorded on the piano on this record but I wrote it on a guitar yeah but little things I wrote on a piano it was the first time I'd ever written a song on piano right and just going at it and just like writing this song on piano and like trusting myself that I could do it mm. was was amazing sure um, this this sounds yeah. like a piano track too. It doesn't sound like a, a ballad necessarily. Yeah. But it, it compositionally, I think you can tell it was it was written on a piano. Yeah. I, I the reason why I chose it as a single um, mainly had to do with the reactions of people I was sh- uh, I was showing the record to right. of just like loving this song, loving the production, how it came out, loving Avery's um, guest vocals, and I was like. All right, if everyone kind of has this like, like just gut reaction to mm-hmm. it, like it should be the single. Totally, yeah. And Avery absolutely kills this song too. She, yeah, she killed it in like two takes. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, this song too, I feel like when I when I say the record's political, one thing I've, I've told you in the past is like, I think it's lowercase political, not uppercase political, yeah. and in that it deals with so much, it carries so much, right? Yeah. I think this song, like, it is that the whole idea of little things here. Of just wanting like enough, you yeah, know. That, like, that it's kind of like it's not really giving up on. Like I think what's happening lyrically, like in what I was going through, was like this transition of not really wanting, you know, the best of everything, or like the, you know, the biggest house, or the like the most vacations, right. or um, 
or like the most amount of money, the most fame, right? Honestly, the most like attention. Like, At this point, you're about a year out of college too. Yeah, like that. That sort of stuff doesn't really entice me anymore. Um, and I and I think this was a song trying to explain like, sure. that. Yeah, you know. And I think it's very political too. I think that's a, I think that's unique to well, our generation. I, this idea of of just wanting enough, of just wanting like uh, the chorus of the song is "All I want are little things." Yeah. And like I think, you know, our parents didn't think that way. Yeah. I think you and I in our generation have seen so much things go wrong <laughs> that yeah. I think we feel bad for asking for things sometimes. Yeah. Or expecting that like a college degree entitles us to something. Yeah. That um. That's the way I resonate this. I mean, this is also a very sweet love song, right? It is also true. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I mean, most of these songs also are tied into like a relationship and love. Yeah, um, that's kind of like the framework of the record a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, little things is amazing, and I think that's a great song. Yeah. Um, so there's two sa- there's two songs left here, and I think that they both kind of do different things. They, they, I think this is where the record closes. Yeah. Um, and tracks eight and nine. Track eight is "I Wish That We Were in Love." Yeah. Um, you said that this was the most challenging song on the record to write than you write up. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? So I actually, the first time I ever played the, what I consider the beat to be the main riff, which is actually the outro, Mm -hmm. like when it gets really quiet and the song is closing, that's actually in my mind, the riff of the song. Right. Um, even though it comes at the end on the recording and I actually played that for you in Alex's basement, like Three years ago. Three years ago, it was in 2016. Where was this? It might have been 2015. It was in like it was like right after the final Crosstown show. So it was that fall of 2015. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm sure I remember that. I, I'm sure I remember that night because I remember almost every night I spent Alex's. Yeah. But um. Damn. Yeah. So that you know that goes back pretty far um yeah crosstown train played the album out that year (laughs) that's how far that back that goes um but uh so this song went through a lot of changes between you know what it it actually only stayed as that riff that was just a riff that i had for i guess years like two years and then i just got the inspiration for this song one day and started playing something else in drop D yeah. but then I realized I could bring that riff into it and then it all clicked for me. Mm. Um and at this point I'd written so many other songs and you yeah. know we were we were demoing demoing stuff out for America and I was thinking of maybe doing like a single or something like yeah. like to start doing um solo music you know because mm. I had never done that before. Um, this is the song that doesn't sound like a solo project. I know I said that about Die Alone too. Yeah. But this one sounds like a band because it goes through so much. It builds so much. Like it's so like it's it's progressive in this way where it, it starts very small and gets very very big and very very loud, yeah. and the same refrain that starts quiet gets louder and then yeah. it kind of ends somewhere very quiet. Yeah. Um, it sounds like like this doesn't sound like one person wrote it. You know. And yeah. I guess the the way I look at that now is you were probably many different people when you were writing the song. Yeah, well, you know, it took, it took, I think this one took the longest continuous attention of trying to write. Right. Like, I I played it by myself all the time that summer. Um, I tried, you know, versions of it with my friend Matt on drums. Um, I tried versions of it with Freddie on drums. Right. You know, like, I cut parts out, I put in new parts, um, 
And then even when I brought it to the studio with Adam, we still changed some stuff around. Mm -hmm. So this song, I think, you know, it's always, at least for me and, you know, the people I performed it with, have, it's had kind of like a, like a serious value. Like sure. everyone I've jammed this song with has either loved it or like really wants to work on it or push it into some sort of direction. Yeah. Um, and I think over time, not just from my ideas changing, but from from the influence of three other, four other people right. also changed this song significantly. You've used yeah. the word catharsis a lot to describe the songwriting process. Yeah. This is the song that I think sounds the most cathartic. It sounds like it starts in this quiet place and just, it blows up into this, like everything that, you, that you've wanted to say on this record, you say on here. I, th I think it serves that purpose too. Yeah. As, you know, kind of like, yeah, you know, it's tough to really like think about my decision making process back right. then because I was juggling so many different like, you know, what ifs. Mm. Like um I had such a backlog of songs that I didn't know if I would record or sure. if I would like do a record or do like a like an EP or um continue to demo. Like I also in this time I demoed I I did a solo demo uh demo EP which has some of these songs on it. Yeah. But there are like three or four songs that aren't on Yosemite that are on that. Yeah. That's the way you write songs, it seems, too. Like, you, yeah. you write a lot, and you, you scrap the bad stuff, and you keep the good stuff, and then you keep working on the good stuff, and then you scrap the version of the bad stuff, and then you... you know, it sounds like it's very much a, uh, a process of, like, getting out the garbage and keeping the good stuff. Yeah, but it's also kind of writing for multiple types of projects at the same time or more you know like because sometimes i was writing music and this is one of the central challenges of actually doing this record yeah was that some of these songs were written with with like a slap guitar in mind so being just like one acoustic kind of right. more like rhythmic um uh with percussion played on the guitar itself versus sure. songs like die alone or i wish that we are in love which are just full band yeah. production so finding a like and in my mind, I was considering whether like if those acoustic songs should only stay together or if like the full band song should be used for the band right. or if there's any way to merge that stuff. And some of these songs you were just rearranging too. Like there's like, you know, some of these songs start as ballads and then they become more like, oh, this isn't really a ballad. Yeah. Or pure becomes kind of more stripped down yeah. than it was. Like I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the last song. Yeah. Um, this is the song, when I think of Yosemite, this is the song that kind of plays in my head, I yeah. guess. This is the song that I always come back to because I think it Same. is just a beautiful end note to this just like broad record that, that touches on so many things. Yeah. I think like what I just said about I Wish That We Were In Love, it feels cathartic. It feels like it's it's getting to the place that, that where it needs to be, you know? Yeah. I love that Yosemite doesn't, all it says is the truth, yeah. you know? And I love that about it. It doesn't try to make meaning out of it. Nope. There's yep. no metaphor. There's no warp tour. That's, there's no crosstown train. Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's just very, very honest, yeah. and that's what I I, I love about it. Yeah. it. It feels like the, uh, it, it does feel like a true culmination to it of just like I, you know, here's what I've been through, and I don't know what any of it means, but here's what I know now. Yes. Yeah. That, and that was kind of the experience too, you know. Mm. Um, can I can I read what you wrote here because I think it's a beautiful write up. Yeah. So I'm gonna read Jake's track by track. I'm gonna move the mic real quick too. Okay. So um, sorry if this sounds awful. Um, Yosemite, summer 2017. I wrote Yosemite overlooking Yosemite Valley in California. A few days earlier in San Francisco, I bought a miniature acoustic guitar with nylon strings, which I tuned to A instead of E. 
On my final day in San Francisco, I started playing around with the guitar by the bay, jamming riffs, looking toward the Golden Gate Bridge. A few days later, I turned those riffs into the song Yosemite during my final full day in Northern California. I knew as I was writing that it had just completed something significant. And when I stood up after writing the song to take a picture of the valley, I knew I had just taken the album cover of my first full-length album. Up until that point, I had never conceptualized any of the other songs as belonging to a whole. Following that experience, the entire previous year had just become reframed in my mind, and all the songs connected as a record. I will never forget it. Let me move the mic again. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Like, that's just, like, damn, that, that pulls on my heartstrings. Like, Dude, it was messed up. Yeah. You know, because... Um, I think that's the thing. Like I knew when I went to California that like something was going to change. You know, it wasn't just like a vacation. Like I was going through like so much in my personal life and, and trying to figure out what to do with the next, you know, five years of my life, 10, 10 years of my life. Um, so, and so much of like my songs over the past year had been trying to like, you know, try to, you know, discuss, you know, like what was happening in my life in like an artistic type of way. Sure. Um, and by that point in, uh, when I made it to California, I was, I got, I had this, I must've had this feeling that I was like done with that. Right. And that I just needed to move on. And, and that's, this song feels like, it feels like moving on, but it also just feels like, I can't remember which one it was. I guess it was pure. It's, you said you feel like one part of your life ended and a new one began. Yeah, that's how I feel about this song, and that's yeah. why I love it as an ending. It does feel like just like cinching up a, a chapter of a book, you yeah. know. Um, it's just so simple too, and like yeah. I, what I said earlier about how this song follows. I wish that we were in love. Mm-hmm. I wish that we were in love feels like this big chaotic grand gesture. Yeah, and this it just is. feels yeah. like just this is the way it actually is. Yeah. You know, um, I love this record. In case Which, you can't tell, you know, and, and <laughs> I, you know, I, and like looking back and like you know then deciding after writing that song that this was a record what i right. just you know all these solo songs i had written can fit together sure if you know i was okay with the fact that you know there are some like contradictory elements of the lyricism you know like mm. you know like cuz you know like you just pointed out um i wish that we were in love being this grand you know like gesture with this final climax suggesting that things you know could be different but then yosemite being completely straight up in the fact that no like this is reality well i I guess to me like with like that like the the steps of grief you know Mm -hmm. how like there is at one point denial and there's it eventually ends with acceptance like this record it doesn't sound contradictory it sounds like a process you know it sounds like getting from one place and ending somewhere else. Like, I think the, like the earlier songs of this record are a little bit more like angrier, you know, yeah. where die alone has this kind of angry tinge to it. Not angry, I guess, but more, um, I think I, I don't really think it's anger. I think it's more fear, you know? Right. I, you know, I think anger comes from fear generally. I think, right. um, I guess anger is not know. the right word, but there is, there's like more of an edge to it, you know? Yeah. And, and Yosemite, the song, just sounds so serene it's just like finger picking guitar and then just yeah. like a couple of you know like lyrics repeated yeah. i love it um i think it's the perfect way to end the record and i love the idea too that's the last song you wrote because this record that's what it sounds like it sounds like a story a process yeah. you know and that and that's the thing like as soon as as soon as i left california i like i just realized that 
Yeah. And I knew immediately what the track listing was going to be because I had written so many songs. Sure. But these were the songs that were the hardest to write. These were the songs that were the most cathartic. Right. And, um, I mean, I just had, you know. I had a really similar experience just finishing my thesis this past weekend. Like, I I had one essay that I wasn't sure was going to fit in or not, you know? Yeah. And when I read through the whole thing, I was like, oh, it's actually, this is like the centerpiece. Like, you know, yeah. I, just, I couldn't see it that way until I, I lived it, I guess, and got yeah. through it. Um, yeah. Man, what a great record. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really hyped that the semester is about to end because I yeah. cannot wait to play guitar and um, play some shows and write some new songs. Right. It's been, because I haven't really written anything. Ser- like, that's serious. Sure. Since uh, I was in California. Right. Because I knew that this record was so important um, for me that I needed to take a, an active, serious, determined break. Mm-hmm from trying to write any any music when you're writing your experience you have to take a buffer to experience more i think yeah no yeah i think that's the way that this this feels it feels yeah. like you you know i remember even seeing you it was the you know nine months after you'd finished the record or something like that when you first played me the songs yeah and even just knowing at that point like jake's life is so different now than it was at that point that's another thing too this is like you know this is like one year of time yeah yeah and recording it i was in a different place and then now i'm in such a like such a different place yeah um, you know but i'm glad i recorded it and it was it, it was, and one thing that hasn't come up it, it was just the absolute difficulty of, of actually doing the record by yeah. myself um and like raising the money to do it and the time necessary. Right. i had to like i couldn't do the whole record in one session i had to break it up into three sessions over months of time and that's very stressful right i mean for, for a, a full lift too there's a thing yeah. i talked about with ben in the last podcast i did with him for yeah. the marigold uh podcasts is like you know he and i both prefer full albums to eps yeah. but like when you're on the local level when you don't have someone cutting the check to the producer like you really it's so hard for a local artist to make a, a, a record the investment well the investment for an lp yeah. is so big you know yeah. and that's you know i mean this didn't come out physically at all right like true yeah until well, just now dude i mean um i i had to completely you know scratch off um uh, the possibility of a physical release buying any yeah. new gear to record or to yeah. play after like i you know this was my last honestly musical purchase yeah um in a long time and i and i had to do that i had to sacrifice an advertising campaign a physical release, new equipment, just for the sake of preserving the songs. Just so the songs could exist. Yep. And they exist at the right time, too. That's the thing. I would have lost them. Yeah. I've lost songs before, but I don't think I would have... I think if I didn't record this, I'd always be trying to go back to recording. Yeah. You know. Um, with that, I, I want to say quickly, um, you know, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Collective. I make no money from it every month. Um, the the money is tallied up and cut in half between the artists we're featuring that month, which in this case would be Jake, the next two months, April and May. Um, the other half goes to a, 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 not necessarily a charity, but a, a cause yeah. that our artist believes in. The, this uh, release, we're, we're giving our money to Sierra Club, which is an a, a organization that Jake believes in, grassroots for preserving um, you know natural land. Um, so, you know, with that, give Jake money. He deserves it. Um, buy him coffee sometime yeah. <laughs> if you see him. 
Um, and not, don't just go to local shows. Buy other, right. If other people have merch, buy their merch. Right. You know? I, I think I'll, I want to end this podcast on, on this note too because I think like every time I record one of these, I think like I'm happy that I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. Um, I had a professor last semester who, who talked a lot about like showing up basically. Yeah. And it made me think a lot about um, how, you know, like there's no utilitarian purpose for any of this stuff. You know, yeah. I'm not like fixing a hole in the world by recording a podcast. You're not doing it by making an album. No. We're doing it because we believe in it. Yeah. And if you want to see that continue to exist, you have to show up. Yeah. Right. Like there's this like, this is counterintuitive to capitalism, right? Like, like yeah. art is just like, it exists because we want it to exist. Yeah. And I think the, if you want to see something continue to exist in the world, if you want to, if you love something passionately and you want to continue seeing it exist, give it money. That's yeah. the way to do it. And don't think about what your the value of it. Don't think about the economics of it or the, the, the content element of it. Think of it as just like, give it what you can just yeah. continue seeing it uh, succeed, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm going to end the podcast on that note. If you want to go to our Patreon and, and donate, you know, you can also all the stuff's available for free. Cause I also believe in the availability of art. Um, you know, uh, Jake can be found it, uh, on, on Twitter and Instagram. You want to give yeah, me um, Instagram you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jake's America. Um, and you can find information about Yosemite on Instagram at Yosemite by Jake. Right. Um, Yep, which is, a, honestly, like, if nothing else, check out Jake's uh, Yosemite Instagram, Yosemite yeah, by Jake. It's cool. It is so cool. It's, like, just designed really, really well. Um, yeah, you can find uh, you can find me at John Basilnut, and, uh, yeah, you can go to fullfrequencycollective.tumblr.com and read more about Yosemite. Um, Jake has written some great articles, as I've mentioned a few times, and I think they're really worth a read, and stuff we haven't even talked about yet. Um, you can also, again, go to Patreon, patreon.com slash fullfrequencycollective, um, to learn about how you can get a uh, cassette tape copy of, of Yosemite, which this might be the only physical run we'll, we'll ever see. Yeah. Because Jake might have just moved on to the next thing by the time, yeah. you know, round two comes about. Yeah. Uh, great. Anything else you want to add? Or No, just stick around for the next podcast <laughs> and then never comes out. <laughs> yeah. Great. See ya.